All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Welcome to Drop in the Gloves here. Nice Monday morning, almost. We're, we're like a week away from June, Tim. Isn't that crazy? We're a week away from June, and it feels like we're less than a week away from the Stanley Cup Finals, the way these games are going. It's crazy. Before we get to that, I want to talk about something called perception versus reality. Now, I'm no theologian. You know, I, I, I do try to have a couple deep, deep thoughts every, every now and again, like Jack Handy for your SNL fans older SNL fans. I was thinking this weekend, my girls had a piano recital. So I kind of stay out of their musical endeavors. My wife kind of spearheads that. Not that I don't care. I'm just not a musically inclined person. They do voice lessons. They've done violin. They've done um, ukulele. They are now doing piano. And they have a very good instructor in town. Some would say the best. I think he's very good. Anyways, they had a recital. Recitals typically stink. You go there and you have to watch everybody else's stupid kids play a dumb song. And then you wait till your kid comes up and it's over. And then you wish you could leave, but you can't because you're in the middle row and you can't leave. Anyways, this guy who's a teacher figured it out. He says, everybody's going to have a 30 second song and there's going to be 40 kids. We're going to get a boom, bang it out in 40 minutes. I loved it. Love the idea. Love the premise. And it actually worked out perfectly. Getting back to perception versus reality. I don't hear my kids practice very often. We have an electric piano. They put the headphones on. You just hear the keys getting pushed down. So I'm like, oh, they're probably doing well. We have another piano. They play on that. They're okay. But I don't, my wife gets them to practice during the day because they homeschool. Anyways, the concert starts. My first kid goes up. She does okay. You know, she's only just turned eight. Does fine. My 10-year-old goes up. My 11-year-old goes up. She does good. Every other kid goes up, Tim. Same age. Like, they're doing Mozart. They're crushing it. Their fingers are going all across the keyboards. And I'm sitting there like, are my kids the worst piano players in class? Because I think they are. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I have this perception of them being really talented piano players because I see them in my house and they do play sometimes at Christmas or special occasions. People come over and like, hey, play piano. Like, let's have a good time. They play like Christmas songs. You get them with the group of their peers. (sighs) 
they're they're the ugly duckling in the group. I'm hoping they're going to blossom. They're the worst. And it's hard for me to say this, but you know how I am. I I call a spade a spade. I'm like, they're the worst in their class. And they're giving out awards after the thing. And they're giving out certificates. My kids don't get jack squat. And so I'm whispering in their ear. I'm like, where the hell are your awards? Where's your trophies? Are you guys not winning anything? And they're like, we didn't, we didn't get any this year. I'm like, guess what? You're not getting ice cream either. (laughs) Winners get ice cream, baby. So it's just, uh, it was very eye-opening. And I'm a thinker, theologian. And I'm like, is the same thing happening right now with the Carolina Hurricanes and the Dallas Stars? Was our perception of them different than reality? Are they just bad hockey teams? And we're fully seeing a good hockey team work them? Because both teams are down 2 nothing. This is the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. This is supposed to be the best of the best, Tim. This is supposed to be the clash of the Titans. And so far, is it? I don't know. Are they my kids playing the piano and they're just now going up against someone who's just a trained professional and they're getting taken behind the woodshed and just beat to death? Is that what's happening? The way that you set up that story, first of all, made me think you were going the opposite way with it. We're like, they dazzled everyone. And you're like, oh, my God, I have two prodigies. I didn't even know it. I'm so proud of them. (laughs) Instead, you're telling them they're not getting ice cream. Um, (laughs) uh, No, I don't think this is what's happening. I mean, all four games have gone to overtime. You know what I mean? Like, it's close. I know it's 2-0 in both series. And by the way, that's the first time in the history of the league that four the first four conference final games have gone to overtime. It's never happened before. I I think we can get into it. I think one of the series is a lot closer than it seems, and the other one maybe is not. But I don't think these are they're not your daughter. That's the <laughs> I don't think you need I don't think you need to worry about that. That's a good thing. As sad as it is for me as a parent to say that, that's a good thing because my kids need there's a lot to work on. There's a the good thing is there's a lot of room to grow. You know what I mean? You got to look on the bright side. It's like, you, you. this is what you can achieve if you put your mind to it. And they practice a half an hour a day, I think. Maybe they're just not piano players. I don't know. Well, so what are they really doing during the day when you're gone? Because they're maybe they're not practicing. Who knows? Honestly, who knows what goes on at that house? My wife says all these things happen. I just assume they happen. But I tell you what, sometimes I get home and I look through the math book. Like, these are all wrong. <laughs> everything's wrong. Like every equation, everything's wrong. All these math and they're so confident. And I go and I check all their work. I'm like, everything is wrong. You guys, what are we doing? And I have to sit them down. This is how you do long division. This is how you do long multiplication. Aye, aye, aye. You know, it takes a village, I guess. But anyways, moving on to hockey. I want to break into both series because we haven't talked. I think we left it. Only one series has started last Friday. Anyways, there was a game Friday, Saturday, Sunday, multiple games. They're both Two games in, their game three starts tonight. Let's start with the Canes and the Panthers. It was deja vu all over again. The big talk that we were talking about going into game two with this series was how is everyone going to react after the massive four overtime saga, the epic game one. An hour played by Brandon Montour. The goaltenders played for two and a half hours almost. Well, there was some adjustments. Rod Brendamore, kind of surprising, maybe not as surprising, started the anti Ronta. He was their 1A during the season. He played the majority of the game. He got the lion's share. Freddie Anderson has been the starter during the playoffs. Were you surprised by him going away from Freddie Anderson, who played very well in game one? He had 50-some saves. He played great. Didn't know. I don't want to say played great. He played good. You give Ante Ron to the start, I guess basically because he's fresh. 
he's going to be sharp. Good decision, bad decision after knowing the outcome of game two? Well, Ranta was the starter for the first five or six games of the playoffs. Like, I think that's probably if Brendan Moore could pick a two healthy goalies, it's probably him. And Anderson won a bunch of games in a row and you stick with the hot goalie. I don't think it's that surprising. I also wonder if there was some kind of nagging, itch, like lingering injury issue, tightness, something from that long marathon game that, that Anderson needed to take a night off. And so they went with Ranta. Didn't work out, though. Well, I don't blame him. I don't blame him fully. But I think what you did notice from the four overtime game, the effects of it, the team that was at home came out flying. Maybe they had a little bit more creature comforts. They were able to sleep in their own beds. They were able to have their own recovery at their home rink where you could get in the hot tub, cold tub, hot tub, cold tub, get those sorts of rehab stuff to get the legs back to normal. Because in the first period, Tim, the Carolina Hurricanes were lights out. They were flying. They were getting great A chance after great A chance. The Florida Panthers looked like they were had cement boots on. It, w- it was a track meet, and Florida was just, they couldn't keep up. Lo and behold, coming out of the first period, it was only one nothing. Why? Sergei Bobrovsky, the 34-year-old Russian goaltender, has been playing absolutely lights out. He stole that game in the first period. You could see the looks on the Carolina Hurricanes' faces. Like, what do we have to do to beat this guy? It wasn't just, you know, tertiary shots, shots from the outside, you know, where you, you you get over the blue and you throw it at the net and it just, oh, ching, there's a shot. These were grade-A chances, Tim. These were down the slot. These were turnovers that Florida was making, high to low, in front of the net, two-on-ones. Bob was saving all of them. It was incredible. He he was playing lights out hockey and you could you can start to see it now. And I was going to touch on this later in the show and we might, but you could start to see the mindset of Carolina shifting a little bit based on how good Sergei Bobrovsky has been. Were you shocked at one point in the first period, Tim, the shots were 21 to four for Carolina, 21 to four. That's insane. Like that's some teams don't get 21 shots in a game. They had it 15 minutes into the first period, and they only had one goal to show for it. That's like a a striking stat, if I've heard any in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, Florida leads the league in this playoffs in goals against per game at almost 38, 37.6 or something. That's a crazy number. It's a crazy number. And yet they're fifth in the league among all teams and second only to the Carolina Hurricanes among remaining teams for goals against per game. 2.86, 2.86, less than three goals against per game. And there's one reason for that. The shots are getting through. Like Florida, you have to give them credit as a team, but it's Bobrovsky right now, the reason that they're not letting up more goals, and that game was a perfect example of it. Yeah, and once they get through that first period, the onslaught, which the game rightfully could have been 4 nothing, the second period starts, and you could slowly but surely feel the momentum starting to change shift by shift by shift. Yes, Carolina was still buzzing. They were still getting really good chances, but Florida was starting to get their game in place. They were getting the puck deep. They were getting on their toes. They were forechecking. They were banging Carolina's defense, and it finally paid off. Midway through the first period, Florida dumps it in, and it a normal looking play. They do it a million times a game. They get in on the four check. They clog the boards. The D man for Carolina rims it around. It gets kept in by one of the Florida defense. I think it's Mahur keeps it in, gives it to Barkov all alone in front of the net. He just makes one of the be- most beautiful moves I've ever seen in a game of hockey. 
it, I, I know I'm overselling it. I watched it so many times. I'm like, how does he make that move? You're down a goal. Eastern Conference Finals. You just played four overtime periods. You're coming off a first period where you completely trash. You come out in the second period, and you have the wherewithal and the chutzpah to fake going between your legs, pull it back to your backhand, outweight the goaltender, and to just neatly tuck it into the net. It was the sweetest goal I could have ever watched. Like it was the goal of the playoffs so far for me. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Ties it up 1-1. Completely changes the game. It completely changes the game. Carolina was outplaying them at that point. It was there. The crowd was in it. And you could feel the energy get sucked out of the building. If he would have just tipped it or he would have scored a normal way, I felt like it wouldn't have had as much of an impact. The fact that he just so casually picks it up on his backhand, fakes between the legs, brings it to his backhand, and scores on a gaping net. Anti-Ranta was nowhere to be found, Tim. Just adding insult to injury, that disgusting move. It just sucked the air out of the arena and just just killed the Carolina Hurricanes. I don't know. What did you think of that? Because I I, I love the goal. I absolutely loved it. Well, it's not that he like he is he didn't invent that goal, right? I mean, people have done that sort of thing before, but it's almost always in a shootout where you have time to plan it. You have time to know what you're going to do. You can set it up perfectly as you skate in. You have a fresh sheet of ice. The puck's moving better. You can get your angles just right. And even then, it's very hard to do against an NHL goalie. You know, you still got to execute it very well. He did it, like you said, the wherewithal in a split second with not much room to do it and the guts to pull it off in a playoff game and then execute it. It was just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, like the reaction on Twitter was just, it was blown up. And uh, I don't know. It probably is the goal of the playoffs so far. Rightfully so. It was a beautiful goal. And Carolina didn't roll over and die. You got to give them credit. They they kept plugging away and they kept getting grade A chance after grade A chance. There was a chance. I think it was in the third period. Tuevo Teravina had an absolutely unbelievable chance. It was a nice play by Martin Nietzsche's Nikas. I always butcher his name. I apologize. He makes a nice move at the point around and Alexander Barkov gives a shot pass to Tuevo Teravina. We talk about the goal of the playoffs from Barkov. Sergei Bobrovsky makes a save of the playoffs. He gives a hard shot past Tuevo Tervine and he redirects it to a wide open net. Bob comes sliding across, makes an unbelievable just blocker save, going side to side, fully stretched out. And this is a guy who in the last 48 hours to that point had played three. He's played three full games, you guys. Three full games of playoff hockey in less than 48 hours. To make that save in that situation was insane. And then on top of that, Making save. Did you did you notice how many grade A chances Stahl was getting? Eric Stahl, not Mark Stahl, the defenseman. Eric Stahl for Carolina. Every time he got on the ice, he was getting grade A chances. Breakaways, one-timers, cross-ice passes. The guy could not step on the ice and get a grade A chance, but he could not finish. Did you... Uh, he stood out for me. He had a great game, but he, he can't finish. He's all Swedish, no finish. The guy... For as old as he is, for the amount of talent that he has, he must be sick to his stomach today. He could have single-handedly had a hat trick in the second and third period for the amount of grade-A chances that he had. Is it Bob or is it Stahl's just not a finisher? Well, you're talking about Jordan Stahl? Who would I say? Eric and Eric. Mark? Yeah. How Eric. many Stahls are there? Should we just <laughs> They're all there. Yeah. There's another okay, one. It's Jordan. Down the it's Jordan. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's a good player. No, I didn't. I don't remember him sticking out that much. But like oh. you said, it, it's been 
it's Ben Bravosky. Just like it's a couple of years ago, I took a cross country road trip and, and my oh, uncle, here we go. Listen, my uncle was telling me like he had just done it, you know, many years ago when he was my age and he's giving me these little tips about like travel and hotels and all this stuff. And he was telling me like the different states. And he goes, and he said he kept a journal because he was going to like the 86 Olympics or something in California. And he kept a journal and he wrote in um, Montana, he wrote, I ran out of adjectives when I got to Montana. There was nothing that I could do to describe how beautiful it was. I'm running out of adjectives for Bobrovsky and this and Kachuk and this whole team. Like it, they're they're capturing something magical, it just seems. We're, I mean, back to back, we haven't talked about the overtime goal yet. To do that in back to back games and then just the way <laughs> the celebration, right? Just get right off the boards. It's just it's the kind of thing that like, okay, you're going to see this play if they keep doing what they're doing in the DVDs, you know what I mean? Like we're going to rewatch those moments from that run. That's what made it special. It's the Red Sox in 04, like what they're doing right now. It's it's just crazy. And we talked about before the series, these teams match up evenly. They all have good players. What doesn't Carolina have? Carolina doesn't have that guy. That guy who could put that goal in at that opportunistic time. They had chances. They had a million chances. Guess what? Kachuk needed one. One chance. That's all he had. He was relatively quiet through the whole game. Didn't do much. You could see how they, they were affected by that four overtime game. They were laboring a little bit. Go to overtime, you get a power play. Pucks in the back of the net. He needed one chance at the right moment, and he scores that goal. Would you expect anything less? Carolina outchanced some grade A chances three to one. Florida gets the win. He does his Bo Jackson exit again. Let's go to the locker room, which I like. I It kind of sucks for Bobrovsky because he <laughs> he wins them that game and he's at the other end of the ice. He wants to go and celebrate with his team. He's like, Where, where's everybody going? Like, come on, fellas. Like, I, I'm the guy, you know, like I kept you guys in this game and you're just leaving me. Did but, you see um, they asked him what he said to the boys after the game or like in the in the quick celebration? And all he said was bus and 10. That's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame him. Let's get out of here. They must be, they must have been so exhausted, but yeah, it's, it's Matthew Kachuk. You know what I mean? It's, it's what we expect from him at this point. He did it all regular season. He dragged this team into the playoffs. They had no business making the playoffs really with the, with the regular season that he, they had. And now they're two wins away from the Stanley Cup finals. It's incredible that the journey they've been on, it really is an eighth seed beating the Bruins who had their name etched on the cup almost like they were planning the parade route, Boston Bruins. They were the best team in regular season history, 135 points. It's insane. I think they swept the Bruins. It was, it was just, they've been on this amazing run. They're up to, they're going back to Florida. They're in a great spot. They're in an absolutely great spot. The Canes before this series started, they were unbeatable at home. They were five and one. They played a relentless style of hockey. They have just ran into a Florida Panthers team, Tim, that just finds a way to win. Panthers are now 6-0 in overtime. 6-0. It's crazy. How many have they won in regulation? Four? Hmm. So, <laughs> like, you got to get them in regulation if you have a chance. Because if they go to overtime, it's just, it's lights out. It's it's the Matthew Kachuk, the Carter Hagee show. Can they be beat? I don't know. I think about as a player, I've been in this situation. I've played in the NHL. I've played in the NHL playoffs. I don't know how many people listening have done the same. I'm not saying I'm better than you, but maybe I am. And that's okay. The mindset of the players going into game three could not be different. I think if you're a Florida Panthers player, you're you're flying back to Florida. 
just shaking your head saying, how did we steal two games? We were by far the worst team in game two. Game one, I think it was a toss-up who was the better team. We have a two-game lead going home. We have no business being in this situation right now. We're playing with house money. Life is good. On the other side of the coin, the Carolina Hurricanes, the doubt creeps in. And it's the worst thing as a hockey player, especially if you're a goal scorer, a talent guy. If you're Tuevo Teravainen, if you're Sebastian Ajo, if you're Seth Jarvis, can we beat this guy? Can we legitimately score on Sergei Bobrovsky? You're getting you're getting feelings of Andre Vasilevsky. You know what I mean? This guy is unbeatable. It's almost becoming like mythological. We can't beat him. And that's what Vasilevsky had during his two, two, three year run with Tampa Bay Lightning. He's unbeatable. Everybody was saying it. Don't get him in game seven. You'll never win that game. Don't get him in an elimination game. You're never going to win that game. It's Vasilevsky. The same era that Victor Trochik had with the CCCP back in the day, the USSR, he was unbeatable. This is what you're starting to think of if you're a Carolina Hurricanes player. We can't beat this guy. We threw up 60 plus shots game one. We threw up 40 shots in game two. We scored three times. Uh, how, how are we going to win this series? And as a scorer, as a player, you don't want to be thinking that way. You want the net to be big. You want to see open spaces. I don't think the Canes players are, th- are seeing open spaces. All they're seeing when they look at that net is Bobrovsky. And that's it's a bad spot to be in. So they're flying to Florida today. I don't know. That, that's going to be a quiet plane ride. They're they're in a bad spot right now, Tim. They need to bounce back in a big way. Yeah, I mean, going down to nothing at home is just. I mean, the Celtics just did it. This is it's a whole other thing. They're down three nothing too. It it sucks the life out of the, the the city, you know. And so, how do you what what good can you pull into? What 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 positive energy can you leverage? What what good things can you say that we've done well? The best thing is that you've forced overtime both games. You're right there, one one bounce one way or the other, and you're tied one to one. Maybe you're up to nothing, and that's what I think. That's what Brendan Moore can say. I think he's probably still thinks they're the better team too. They haven't played like it, but on paper they should be. So, what's the message right now? Yeah, the silver lining you can take away is that we were the better team. We outplayed them for well, how many periods did they play? They played seven, eight, nine, ten. They played eleven periods. We were the better team for eight of them. Maybe not. We just can't finish. So the silver lining is we need to finish. We need to bury those shots. But it just goes back to what I was talking about. Can we? Is Bobrovsky in our head? And I think he is. I think the Canes players are, are, they need to do something to change their mindset. They're throwing everything on the net that they can. They're getting all the good balances. They're getting grade A chances. They can't, they can't beat this goaltender. Something needs to change whether they get a couple power play goals, get the good feelies going. But if it keeps going like it is, man, Florida Panthers are fun. They're fun to watch. All right, moving on to the Western Conference, West Coast. Vegas Golden Knights, Dallas Stars. Another series, two rip. This time the home team holds court. This series hasn't really started, according to Tim. When does a series start, Tim? When a home team loses. Boom. Vegas Knights hold serve. They're up to nothing. They do what they had to do at home. Mind you, same fashion as the uh, as, uh, Florida Panthers. Two wins in overtime. Does this series seem a little different to you, Tim? Do you want to break down the game first and we'll get into the feelies of the game? Let's let's break down how game two went. It does. I was oh. watching this. 
yesterday afternoon um and dallas looked better and i (laughs) I almost like i was talking about um you watch a couple of shifts and you like take that with you especially as you're preparing to talk about it you watch a couple of shifts dallas dominates for two minutes or something you're like okay dallas is the better team this is this is what's going on but vegas keeps coming back and then jason robertson gets the go-ahead goal and he's kind of waking up a little bit because he was very quiet in the first round he's got three points two goals i think in the second round so he's doing better high skin and scores and you're you're feeling pretty good. And then you watch the play. And we're going to break this down a little bit. But Marcheseau scores. And it's cool, too, because he was called for a penalty earlier in the third period. And he wasn't happy about it. And so this was retribution for him. He goes in. The one-timer buries it and just sucks the life out of the, the bench for the Dallas Stars. You can see Pete DeBoer's reaction just like jaw on the floor. And all the players are just hanging their heads low. And Vegas erupts right and so they score with less than about two two minutes 22 two and seconds, a half yeah plus. yeah and then they go to overtime and they need less than two minutes for chandler stevenson to bury a rebound and all of a sudden vegas is leading two nothing when it was so sure that you were going home one to one like dallas was like i i mean i'm sure they weren't thinking it but it seemed like they were like okay we tied it up let's let's wrap it up and let's get back home and then let's talk about that play the march is so play well <laughs> The March is so goal because it was a lot that happened on that play. And it really was Ryan Suter that got exposed on this one. And he got interviewed about it afterwards. He gets it behind the net and kind of just a weak saucer pass. Doesn't put anything behind it. It gets turned over. And then he doesn't cover his man in front of the net. And so Eichel gets it, looks over his shoulder, backhand pass in front of the net. March is so comes streaking in. Suter doesn't see him, doesn't cover his man, buries it. And he gets like run into on top of it. And so he gets exposed. Dallas is loses all the momentum and Vegas finishes the job. How much what's what's going through his head? How much do like in a situation like that, do you look at it one particular guy for the reason that you didn't win? Yeah, it, it, thankfully, the guy's a 15 year veteran, so I don't think it'll stay with them too much. But yeah, it, it's his fault. He's the reason they lost this game for all the good things that he did throughout the game. It just gets completely washed away on this one play. And it was a weak play. We saw a very similar player earlier in the game, Braden McNabb, did the same thing. I think they were on a penalty kill where he could have just ripped it high and hard off the glass, but he decided to be artsy-fartsy-cutesy with it and tried to go D-to-D to his partner who could go out the other weak side for an easy clear. Didn't happen. Dallas picks it up. Robertson gets to goal. So it's a very similar type play. This is a more crucial situation, obviously, two and a half minutes left. As a defenseman, I play defense in the NHL. I'm not saying it better than everybody, but you know, maybe I am. Um, you're always taught you need to be 150% sure that your D to D blind, you know where it's going. You can't just do a hope play. And this was a hope play. He is hoping that his D partner is there. He's hoping Jack Eichel doesn't tip this pass. The skills that players have now, their hand-eye, they can knock down pucks anywhere on the ice. Joe Pavelski does it all the time. You see cross-ice passes get knocked down daily. It was a bad play. You have to make the hard play in this situation. When it's a 50-50 play and you don't know if it's going to get through, you either eat it or you rip it around the boards as hard as you can. You live to fight another day, you ice the puck. That's all. Those are your two options. That, that should have never been an option in his head. He's probably made that play a thousand times and it's been successful it gets knocked down 
He's surprised by it and he freezes. He doesn't know where to go. He should have immediately retreated back to the front of the net. He didn't. He hesitated. He's on his way back to the front of the net. You can tell he's frustrated. He turned it over because he didn't pick up Marchestow and he compounds on his first mistake. He doesn't know where Marchestow is and it's in the back of his net. It's just like, man. And then in overtime, Wyatt Johnson, we talk about that guy, that play. He he has a great A chance in front. Another turnover. Joe Pavelski picks it up behind the net, centers it to Wyatt Johnson. He's screaming down the pipe. Everybody's seen the play. Huge save by Aiden Hill. Absolutely massive. Is it a good save? He shoots it right in his chest. He's in the right spot. If Wyatt Johnson picks a corner, it's in the net. The goalie has no time to react. He's, he's just in the right spot at the right time. They go down the other way. A terrible, terrible, terrible change by the Dallas Stars. You're taught in minor hockey. You are never allowed to change when the puck is going up the ice into your zone. That is never, never, never. Like it's it's just 101. Two Dallas Stars forwards change. It, it was Wyatt Johnson and someone else. It gives Vegas a four on three going the other way. A four on three from their blue line, Tim. Not a four on three, you know, kind of a regroup in the neutral zone where you don't have time to get lanes to get things going and get speed. This is a four on three from their blue line where they can gain speed. Two guys drive the net, drives the defense back. Jamie Ben is kind of at a position as well. It's a two on O up top. They give it across to Shea Theodore. He has a great shot. Chandler Stevenson picks up the trash. The game's over. And and then all of a sudden you go from having this great game. You play 47 minutes perfectly in the span of three minutes on ice time, you lose the game and you're down to rip going home. It, it's just, it's not much. These are all good teams. You have to play perfect hockey to win Vegas. Like you mentioned it, they, they just go about their business. They don't make too many egregious mistakes. They frustrate you. They clog up the neutral zone and then they're down your throat. They had, there's too much talent. What are their star players doing Tim? Mark Stone, well, Jack Geichel. While you were talking, I pulled up that Stevenson overtime goal because I didn't catch the bad line change when I watched it. And you're right. Like, that's, that's pretty egregious. Um, and now Florida has eight um, come from b- behind victories in this postseason. And so they are now fifth all time with eight. The other Vegas? five teams. Yeah, Vegas. Sorry, Vegas. The other five teams, four of them have won the Stanley Cup. Like, this is this is the recipe for, for a winning team when you weren't able to come back like this. So Mark Stone has 19 takeaways. This is a guy who's been a, uh, obviously a Selkie finalist before, one giveaway, and he's also seventh in scoring. And again, people are talking about the whole Kucherov thing, the cap navigation and circum whatever. He's doing it. Um, and then Jack Eichel, and this is another big he's story. Had, this is another big story heading into this. Was What was Jack Eichel going to do? First ever playoffs. He's been waiting for this opportunity for whatever, seven, eight years in his career. He's played 13 games, six goals, 15 points, 46 shots, he's a plus eight, and he's drawn seven penalties. He's a superstar. He's a stud. He's a 1C center, and he's proving it right now. And now Vegas, they have a chance to. They are playing in Dallas, so this series technically hasn't started yet. What do you see this shaking out over the next couple of nights? Well, just kind of comparing it to the East Coast series, Florida, Carolina, it's different. You know, that series, I feel like Florida is going to win that series in five. This one, I feel it could easily be tied 2-2. After the next two games, just I agree. Your the mental aspect of the Dallas Stars, you're going home. We talk about silver linings for the Carolina Hurricanes, not much, right? Like, oh, we played better. We can't finish. Uh, can you get over overcome that? I don't know. The silver linings for the Dallas Stars are these mistakes are correctable. You know, 
the reason that they scored their two goals, a terrible turnover for one of our best defensemen, Ryan Suter. Correctable. A bad, bad, bad line change in overtime. Correctable. And to just put the cherry on top of silver linings for this team, our all-star, all-world goaltender who was struggling for the first two rounds of these playoffs, who got pulled twice in the previous round, he's playing lights out. The guy's back to being Ottinger. Jake Ottinger, not Jared. He's back to being that guy. So if I'm going home, which I am, yeah, we're down two rip, both overtime games. We could have won both games. Wyatt Johnson missed just a surefire goal. I'm not feeling as bad as the Carolina Hurricanes, even though they lost two overtime games. So I, I do think this will be 2-2 after the next two games. Dallas lost both games in their first round and second round series. They lost both first games. They did come back and win games two in both those series. So they are used to coming back from behind. They need to win in over or in five on five. They're now 0-4 in overtime to him. For whatever reason, this team, this team can't finish after 60 minutes. They just lose. Vegas is 3-0. They need to win it in a regulation. And they just need to play their game. I feel like they were the better team in both games. They just need to play their game. The silver linings are there. It's just a shame that, gosh, I, I hope they win the next two games. What else, Tim, for these two two series? Anything else? Uh, no, you nailed it. Even beside the X's and O's stuff, it's just Dallas still hasn't played a home game. So in their eyes, they have two great opportunities to tie the series and, and head them back. And I think, honestly, if I'm a betting person, I probably would bet on them to do that. So, Yeah. So moving on. There was some other big hockey news that happened this weekend. One shoe fell in Toronto. The other one has yet to drop. I feel like there's massive changes coming in Toronto. Kyle Dubas gets fired. Brennan Shanahan out some in a very strange way. What happened with this firing, Tim? Because the writing was on the wall, right? They lose in the second round. They only win one game. It was just a bad mojo all around. Players were not happy. How did he get fired? Or not fired, sorry not extend it. There's a difference. He didn't get fired. He just did not get extended. Yeah. So Frank Saravelli reported this, that Brennan Shanahan's timeline outlining negotiations with Dubas is a bombshell. After Dubas's press conference last week, which was apparently against Shanahan's wishes, Shanahan had a quote shift in thinking. And when Dubas's agent presented a new financial package, Shanahan said he got to a different place. In other words, if you read between the lines, Shanahan believes Dubas overplayed his hand and the Maple Leafs cut the cord. Dubas wanted more money, thought he was more, worth more than he actually was. And Shanahan said no, on top of whatever happened behind closed doors. Another part of this is that it, it it's sent a couple of other things into motion. Stezza retired, resigned immediately. He's a, and so he's a Maple Leaf for life, right? He grew up in, in Ontario. He's It was his dream play for this team. And he joined the front office immediately wants to win a cup there. And that was probably his life goal was to be part of that organization. And whatever happened behind closed doors made him walk away, tender his resignation immediately. And there are all these reports that staff isn't happy with Dubas being gone and just at least the way that it went down. So this could be the beginning of of probably more changes, like you said. Yeah, here's what's going to happen. Keith will be fired. Toronto's going to clean house. Shani will last one more year and then he's going to be gassed. Kyle Dubas is going to end up in Ottawa with Jason Spezza. I think Pierre Dorian will be gone after this year. They're going to have another failed year. 
And that's where Jason Spezza will end up. I, I think that's the end play here when you look into the crystal ball. It's just, I, don't know, I think they just need to just fire everybody. If I'm the Toronto president, if I'm running MLSC, the Maple Leaf sports and entertainment section, just fire everybody. This whole group, they've been there for too long. They haven't done anything. The results aren't there. So just get rid of them. So I, I don't want to talk about Toronto too much. How much did Matthews and Marner have, you know, a play in this? We don't know. I don't know what's going on, but let's move on. This Calgary is going to have a new GM. Craig Conroy is announced to be hired as the next GM for Calgary. I don't care. Good. Whatever. Bradshaw Reeling did a decent job this offseason. Everybody was lauding him. Huberto didn't work out. Cadre didn't work out. And everybody just hates him. So he's gone. Arizona Coyotes. Do Do we really want to dump on this team more? These reports just keep coming out. I'll just bring them out quickly in case people haven't heard. This is, a, this is from the New York Post, so take it with a grain of salt. But apparently the Coyotes filed multiple complaints, quote unquote, with the NHLPA and the NHL in the past season regarding substandard travel, lodging and logistical issues that were in violation of the NHL collective bargaining agreement. I don't know what that means, especially like that's probably like they're not getting the right buses, not getting cheap planes. Maybe they're staying at cheaper hotels than they should. Maybe they're not getting the food quality, whatever. A lot of it's probably attached to the arena. I'm assuming it's not happening on the road because it's still, I don't know. Um, but it is it is another interesting thing, layer to of complexity to this whole issue there. Yeah, and the they're other- just a ticky, ticky tacky. Like they're probably staying at average hotels. When you're in the NHL, you're supposed to stay at five stars, five star hotels. I know it sounds pampered. I know it sounds like we're spoiled brats. That's what we l- lobbied for. In in the during the lockout, it's like we want to be treated like, you know professional athletes put us up at the ritz carlton put us up at the four seasons that's it you know the weston in toronto is a beautiful hotel we aren't staying at the holiday inn we aren't staying at la quinta no offense to those hotels i use them now but when i played in the show we're not staying there you know and i bet you they try to cut corners and staying at hotels that really aren't up to par with what you're used to all right what else is going on in arizona yeah. Logan Cooley, who was their first first round pick, I think he was third overall, and a lot of people think he probably would go first overall in a redraft, um, said that he's he decided to go back to Minnesota for another year of college. And he actually said that the result of that vote in Tempe impacted his decision. And it's not too often you hear it that straightforward. You can kind of make speculation where the vote goes down. He decides to stay in school. You can you can sort of connect the dots, but they don't usually don't tell you. But he did um, said he was leaning toward going pro and had the vote gone in the Coyotes favor. But again, he noted that returning back to Minnesota would be good for his development. And I think it's more of a wait and see and have a little bit more of a predictable future for him. If they don't sign him next year, he can re-enter the draft. <laughs> so the clock's ticking. And if I'm Logan Cooley, I'm playing in a rink in Minnesota that seats fifteen to 18,000 people. I am playing at a facility in Minnesota that pumps millions of dollars into the program. I'm playing in Minnesota that sells out every game. I'm treated like an NHL player. Why would I downgrade myself to go play in a 5,000 seat arena at Arizona State College? Why would I go and play for a team that's just in flux? No one knows where it's going to land next year. Why would I burn a year of my contract knowing that I'm just going to get beat every single night and not have the chance to succeed? I'm not going to play with talented players. Why would I do that and potentially ruin my career? Because I'm going to be rushed into a situation that I'm not ready for. His family advisors, quote unquote agents, are doing the smart thing by telling this guy not to come out. 
yeah, he could go and make 900 grand this year and sign an endorsement. But at what, what cost? At what cost? I'm, I'm going to potentially be playing a, in a bad situation where I'm just getting beat every single night. We've seen it before. Guys rushed into the NHL and then it just stunts their development. So I like this. Why go to a sinking ship when I could just stay two more years in a beautiful campus, in a beautiful city, in a situation where I could win the national championship, win Hobie Baker, have fun with my friends, be a college student, not have to worry about all the pressure and stuff that goes along with being an NHL player. Yeah, playing the NHL is great. This guy will make the NHL. Barring any injury, he'll make the NHL and he'll be a very good player. If I'm the Coyotes, I'm 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 sweating a little bit. My third overall pick might re-enter the draft in two years. <laughs> that says so much about your franchise that you can't sign the third overall pick. He's he just says, no, nah, I'm good. And they're saying, you can come to the NHL and play in our first line. Please, please, please. And he's like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stay in college. It's like, is <laughs> how bad is your franchise, Tim? When, when that's happening, you know, it's, it's this kid's dream is to play in the NHL. The moment he put on skates four years old, I want to play in the NHL. I want to play in the NHL. A, a, a team is saying, hey, come and play with us. We'll, we'll give you this much money, almost a million dollars a year. And you, you can play in the first line with Clayton Keller. And he's going, you know, eh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm good. I'm going to stay in my dorm room and eat dorm food for a couple more years. Thank, thanks, though. <laughs> it's how bad is your franchise? It's a joke. How does it work that he re enters the draft as opposed to being like eligible to sign somewhere else? Because he's still of draft eligible age. So he'll be 20 years old again. So you can, yeah. So he's still young. He got drafted when he was 17 or 18. So he's waits two more years. He'll be drafted again at 20. This is very, it's happened before, but not for a guy this high in the draft. You know, we've seen it with a couple second rounders and like Nick Benino did it. Freddie Anderson did it. Craig Anderson did it. A few other guys have done this. Not someone who's been taken this high in the draft, never a first rounder, never a lottery pick. This is like a new territory. And it's all thanks to Arizona just being an absolute train wreck. So it's like, get him out of there. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And then on top of it, to add, again, I don't want to keep dumping on it, but they keep coming up. The whole thing last week with Clayton Keller's dad reported that he wouldn't be returning to the team and other players were going to follow, et cetera. Well, he came out and he gave a couple of statements saying that his phone was hacked and it was not him. And he was made aware by friends and family that these statements were put out and blah, blah, blah. I don't believe him. Uh, what? I- you don't believe him? <laughs> no. Damn. How did they get how did they get deleted so quick? Like it's usually when you get hacked, you get locked out of it. You know, everyone's it's- trying to hack Clayton Keller's dad's phone. <laughs> yeah. He's a he's a high mark. Like he's the guy. Everybody wants to get Clayton Keller's dad's phone. He has like so, 300 followers and this is after like he probably had 100 before he sent out those tweets. It's like, um, what is that the, is that just a go to excuse now? I was hacked. Sorry. Yeah. It's All right. What else? Joe Valeno, World Championships. Kicks the Nino, stepped on Nino Niederreiter. What is going through your head? The guy should like it's just like an egregious play. He, what are you going to do? He he see he literally tried to cut his leg off. It's it's an insane play. What goes through your head when you're like stepping on somebody? I don't understand it. It's a dumb play. The guy should be never allowed to play for Team Canada internationally again. That should be a suspension because it's a t- you, you could really really hurt somebody doing that. If he catches him between the skate and the shin pad, you, you're doing this guy real damage. So shame on you, Joe Joe Valeno. Shame on you. What else, Tim? 
I mean, yeah, you nailed it. There was no outcome of that other than hurting him. Like, there was no benefit you would have gotten from, like, a lot of times these, these type of plays can be dirty, but you'd also, like, you get the pocket, you get a shot on that, whatever. There's There was no outcome of this other than you hurting him. There was no reason to do it, so. He did not get a penalty on the play, so. I don't think the refs are watching for stomping feet, you know what I mean? As like, crazy as that sounds, the puck's there, you're in a scrum, and the guy, like, kicks him, he, like, stomps him, and you don't call a penalty. How is that not hot? I don't know. But anyways. That's it, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for showing up. We'll see everybody on Wednesday. Have some fun watching some hockey. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 